Well, welcome back to the Cordell and Cordell Men's Divorce video and podcast. I'm Scott Trout, CEO and managing partner of Cordell and Cordell. We continue to bring you issues for guys before, during, and after divorce from every issue you can imagine. We've been doing it for uh, 19 weeks or so during the COVID pandemic. We're going to continue to bring it to you twice each week for this podcast, including once a month in our virtual town hall. I encourage you to find out more information about our town hall. You can join in in August. We will have an opportunity to ask your questions live of the Cordell and Cordell panel of attorneys and get answers live. So check out Cordell Cordell for more information about our virtual town hall today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about alimony, spousal support, maintenance across the country. It's it's called something different. We're going to talk about particularly New Hampshire and welcome Jessica from our Cordell office. Welcome. Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. I just wanted to talk about New Hampshire alimony as it is an evolving part of the law here in this state. Um, Historically, uh, the statute did not include a calculation. And it's very interesting that about a year ago, year and a half ago, the legislation changed and now there's a calculation to help the courts determine what, if anything, really should be paid. So in an alimony case, it's really looking at a long-term marriage where one spouse does not have enough money to self-support. So the spouse that has the funds to, to support the other spouse, now it becomes a question of, well, what does that amount of money look like? Back before the law, it was the party submit a financial. Each party submits the party that needs the supporting should show reasonable expenses and what they reasonable need to live on, whether they have children in the house or they need to maintain their mortgage. And then the paying spouse needs to show the ability to pay. So this, Statute today still has that analysis. And so it's not just an income sharing statute. It is a statute that allows for the analysis of the if the husband or wife is going to pay the other spouse, then it still needs to be a reasonable expectation of expenses. So let's look at those. Once we determine that one spouse does have a need, look to the other financial and find out, well, does the other spouse have the ability to pay? So let's say there's this large amount of money left over after expenses that the ability is there. So then we start talking about, well, how much is reasonable? The statute says the lesser of the need or the 30% in the difference of income. So what we do is we look at both financials, find out what their gross income is. If a parent is going to pay child support to the other parent, that comes off the top of the gross income. So the 30% is off the reduced, kind of like taxes, adjusted gross income. So then once the court knows what the adjusted gross income is of both parties, then they take 30% of that. If the 30% is more than what the other party needs, then they don't pay the 30%. There's legislation now with the House bill to change down to 23% because simultaneously when this bill was passed, they also passed the law that says all new alimony um, orders entered will no longer be taxable to the person paying and no, or be taxable income to the person receiving. So when they put the 30%, somehow they didn't take in consideration the tax per- consequences, and it really left the paying person paying a lot of their money post-taxes. Yeah. So that's expected to pass. The courts are even today using the 23%. So when you do the math of how much alimony am I exposed to, you look at the maximum of 23% after child support, if you have children, and the duration is maximum of 50% of the length of marriage. So the courts look at the gross income, and if you pay support, um, you deduct off the support. If you pay for health insurance, you deduct off the health insurance costs for the minor children, or if you're continuing to support the spouse on health insurance, 
Then once you get your adjusted gross income, the difference of income for the payee, the support gets added to their income. So if they say they make zero and they get $2,000 a month of child support, their adjusted gross income is now $2,000. Mm. So if we take the difference between $6,000 of gross income of the husband and 2,000 of the wife, now we're down to 23% of the difference of those incomes. So nice. that's the maximum monthly payment of alimony. And again, if that amount of money exceeds the payee's need, then it's not going to be awarded. Mm -hmm. This is not an income sharing statute. It's a huge change. I mean, it, we were just talking off, off uh, camera about Missouri, for example, has no formula, has no guidance. There is no uh, limits on how long you'll pay. Uh, every guy that comes in, they ask, well, how much am I going to pay? And I'll say, well, it depends on your judge. I mean, it really does because every yeah. judge does it a little bit differently in Missouri. It could be about 30 to 35, 40% of net. And that's kind of these unwritten rules. And for New Hampshire to take the steps, not only to put in some guidance, obviously, you know, the lesser of, but then these caps, uh, that's huge because it guys is. now know that there's a time end point. You know, you, you know, we've always said when you die or remarry, yeah. Um, obviously it terminates. Is cohabitation uh, also uh, a terminating factor? Yep. So if um, the payer just finds out that the pay is cohabitating, they can file a motion to terminate alimony based on cohabitation. Are they sharing expenses? Are they solely residing in the same house? You know, there's reasons to believe that they are doing that. So it's not just remarriage. The other nice thing the statute did was end alimony at full retirement age. So folks getting divorced later in life worry, well, I'm facing retirement in 10 years, alimony could go for 15 years. The maximum award is going to be 10 years at full retirement age. So if they continue to work, that's one thing. They're gonna work till 72, they're gonna pay till 72. But at full retirement age, you're eligible to reduce. So if that person is gonna retire at the full age, then their support can end there. Yeah, um, and many, this, yeah say, there's many guys out there that keep working because they can't, yeah. there's no provision like that. They're like, I, I'm not gonna be able to modify my because my, my pension may be paying me quite a bit of money. That's a, a huge step in the right direction. Yeah, it's really helpful. So I think it was a little scary to New Hampshire practitioners who were used to just, like you said, well, we've got Judge A, we're gonna get this mm -hmm. type of order. And to be honest, it's still being tested. No cases have gone up to Supreme Court, mm -hmm. so we have to figure out what if the judges are using this accurately. Um, but in talking to other attorneys in the cases that I've had so far, it truly is a need and ability to pay. And then we're going to look at the statute for some guidance about what dollar amount should we cap this at. So at least it gives some teeth to our arguments of the amounts of money that gives us something reasonable to work on other than he or she's just not going to work for the rest of yeah. their life and take some of the other person's income. Um, so I think it, it is helpful to have the tool. It was a little scary at first for practitioners because we kind of used to, well, we'll just say what's reasonable. Um, okay. So now there's, I think for the paying person, the deadlines and the end dates and the reasons to end it and the caps are extremely helpful to ease stress. Instead of saying, right. we don't know, we say this is the maximum. I so. have to think, you know, for years, you know, we've always fought, for example, in Missouri, there is reasonable needs test, but there's no max. There's no guidance. So now, I mean, to really advise guys, say, okay, here's pretty much what we think your maximum would be, 23% of the difference. Now let's whittle away at the expenses and the reasonable needs and the standard of living to try to really come down on that. I mean, that, what a, I mean, a tremendous change in the law to 
in, in the majority, you know, benefit guys who are trying to fight mm-hmm. this very, very large, onerous alimony support obligation. It's crazy. It's what a wonderful change, though. It's great. It really is, and, and especially getting rid of that lifetime alimony. New Hampshire's yeah. always been a primarily rehabilitative alimony state where they want to see people succeed on their own. But obviously, the older in age that we get, the less likely we're going to become employed to a reasonable amount. Um, but this full retirement age, it gives a deadline, and especially re- divorcing older, a, a little bit more peace of mind that they're going to be able to retire in a reasonable manner without having to continue to work past retirement age. So is there, and another question I know guys ask is typically, well, how long do I have to be married? I mean, is there still that discretion, meaning I could be married a year or 15 years? Is there anything, the magic number that says, now I'm going to pay alimony? Is there anything in that bill related to minimum length of marriage? They don't have a minimum. It's still the general, you know, when you start reaching eight, 10, 12 years, you're in the mid to long-term marriage. And I think it depends on the circumstances of the parties, right? If, if you got married and the other spouse immediately stayed home with all the kids and you agreed and there was no reasonable expectation of work, um, and after 10 years, that person has no resume, that's where the New Hampshire is going to go, well, what are your work skills? And they're going to want that person to rehabilitate their work skills. Um, so no, to plainly answer, there's no minimum, but, you know, the laws and the case law indicate that one year, you're probably not going to get alimony. We still go by short term. You're going to go back to the position you were in. If you haven't been working, good for you, but get back in the workforce, Um, that type of situation. Um, And truly, I think it's very helpful that child support counts first. So parties have been married for, let's say, five to seven years, and they might have three or four babies at home. That child support order is probably going to be large enough for that other person to be supporting as well as getting a part-time job. So I think that adding that part to it as well, taking into consideration that is helpful. For some dads out there, the coronavirus pandemic has become a pretext to limit access to their children. Other dads have been pushed out of key decisions affecting their children's lives. If you're one of those dads, Cordell and Cordell is here for you, as always, but with expanded services. We can meet you in person or by video conference on weekdays, evenings, or weekends. Our goal is to step up our service to meet your needs now. Do you happen to have the house bill number in case guys want to look it up? I do not have that handy. Yeah, I couldn't. Um, I know I was yeah, looking for I, it and I couldn't see it. And so I have I'm it in an email, but if we went off screen, you'd lose me. But I, I yeah, no I, worries. There is a house bill pending. It should pass shortly yeah. and it should pass without objection because okay. it was simply an oversight of the legislation to not take into consideration yeah. that when they passed this bill, the other bill passed um, that got rid of the tax ramifications. So it when they made like 30%, they just didn't take yeah. that into consideration. For that some was a reason. huge so. loss when the, uh, the new it, tax yeah. bill that eliminated the deductibility of spousal support. It really, I mean, here in Missouri, we, we're still struggling with it. And judges mm-hmm. now are, are coming up with new orders to accommodate in some way. And they're not wholly accommodating it either uh, because they don't really now, you have to have an expert now to come and talk about the tax, you know, additional tax that this client's paying that right. is no longer income to the recipient spouse. It's it's a pretty it's big a deal. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and clients here are still learning that that's the case. You know, they're just filing for divorce now. They don't know anything and they've heard, oh, at least there's a tax benefit. Sorry, not yeah. anymore. Um, so to, to 
to put these both in at the same time, New Hampshire, unfortunately, didn't do enough homework when they made that 30% decision, but it, it should pass without problem very shortly. Good. The mediators in the courts are using 23%. That, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, to kind of wrap it up, why don't we, I know you want to give uh, guys who are watching kind of a good example. We can just throw out 23% that, you know, the difference. So we'll pop up on the screen and maybe you can walk them through a real life example. If guys are trying sure. to figure out how much they're going to pay. So why don't you walk us through that? Sure. So if you have monthly gross income of $6,200 a month, um, my example has that you don't have any minor children. There's no one that you're paying for support. You don't pay support for any other family. So Sometimes people have prior orders and you would get a credit for that. Um, so if you're not getting a credit, then you do get a credit on my example for some health insurance that you're paying for um, the spouse. So your adjusted gross income is $5,824. If your spouse doesn't work, then that's an easy calculation. There's, there's nothing to pay there. Um, so the difference between would still be the, the adjusted gross income, $5,824. The difference between the incomes, and again, my spreadsheet's a little off, is about $1,800 a month. So that's what the courts are going to look at. They literally have the same spreadsheet, and they're going to do it themselves. So I, as counsel, I, pre I present it to them because judges don't like to do their own work. And we say the payee's need is only $700 a month, so let's make the alimony at $700. Okay. Then as I go down my spreadsheet, you'll see I just do the calculation. You've got the date of marriage. If it's long-term, you take 50% of the months times it by the multiple order. And this comes in handy if you're gonna do a buyout of alimony. So if you don't wanna pay monthly alimony, you can say, well, max alimony I pay over years is 300,000. I have an asset right here, let me be done. Um, so this spreadsheet um, seems frustrating to some, so it's so black and white, but it's really nice because you throw it right out there what the numbers are and it really helps people to consider what is a buyout as well. Um, so. Another positive to put in a mathematical equation to a statute is we have a way to make sure we can make good buyout decisions too if we're going to take that yeah. path. And examples like this, are, it's good to let the client see it and understand it. It's a, it's a calculation mm -hmm. that should be done with your attorney early on in the case as you talk about settlement and what your options are and what your strategy should be. And so you know, you're, you know we always talk best case, worst case, and likely scenario. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so again, you know, as we talk through this, again, it's not legal advice, but you want to use this as an example to go to your attorney and say, hey, I'd like to talk about, you know, what my possible max and minimum are. And so that's a great example uh, yeah. to kind of walk through guys, you know, this very, very big change that is a really in the right step in the right direction. Yep. And that's the first thing I do with clients and they retain and we start talking numbers. Say, so, well, let's, let's look at the maximums. And we throw in these numbers and say, these are rough numbers, but they're maximums. You put in your gross income, you got two children, they're minors, what else do you have? And at least we can ease their stress by saying your maximum outlay is this amount of money. Now it can only get better from there, let's work on that. And I, I always find the good, the bad, and the ugly up front helps people understand their cases. Yeah, totally. I mean, at yeah. starting at the worst case and working ourselves backwards, mm -hmm. and we really can land on a good you know, idea of what you want to offer, so it's a good, good idea. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, that's all the time we have. This is a great okay. uh, information uh, for guys, and they can go ahead and find out that information in New Hampshire about the new alimony and spousal support law. Uh, and in your state that you may be in watching, right, listening right now, go ahead and Google it. There may be changes happening, and we know they're happening around the country. To, it's one of the areas specifically in maintenance and spousal support 
that has seen radical changes just because that discretion has led to a lot of uh, upset clients not knowing what to expect and, and lawyers can't give a lot of good guidance. So, so thanks for uh, offering that up today and I appreciate the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So if you want to have a consult and talk further about this, you can reach us at 866-DADS-LAW or find us on the web at CordellCordell.com. We're available for telephonic, virtual, or we're appropriate for health and safety uh, in person. But make sure you consult with your attorney in the office in the local city and state that uh, you're looking for to make sure that that's an appropriate way to have the consultation. So until next time, have a good week.